We're going to look uh, at uh, John uh, 3, 16 and 17 here in just a second. But before I read that, let me pray. Join with me. Father, we rejoice today in so many evidences of your gift of eternal life uh, being manifest uh, um, among us, in the middle of us, all around us. Thanks for that. Give us eyes to see and hearts to believe and ears to hear the good news today, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So John 3, 16 and 17, text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So as Kevin mentioned, uh, uh, we're two weeks, three weeks away from the uh, season of Advent, which means we're uh, just, you know, we're almost up to Christmas, time to panic and uh, start thinking about gifts. Uh, Eternal life is a gift. Uh, But I want to say right at the outset uh, that it is unlike most gifts, and it's unlike the way we tend to think about it. Because the way we tend to think about eternal life is, you live this life, you die, and then you get eternal life. That's not biblical. That's wrong. Um, A few weeks ago, my three-year-old grandson went with his... um, preschool class to the pumpkin patch, right? They take them to the pumpkin. You know, suburban kids, they don't know what a pumpkin is. They don't know, they don't know what any of this stuff is. So they get, you know, two hours of farm life. And so, um, sort of farm life, not really farm life, but they go out there and it's cool. So, um, so he goes to the pumpkin patch. I was not able to go with him, but I talked to my son afterward and I'm like, well, how did it go? Did, how many pumpkins did you bring home? None. Why not? Well, he wasn't interested in the pumpkins. Which makes total sense. What are you going to do? What's a three-year-old going to do with a pumpkin? Right? You can't throw it. You're not supposed to throw it. You can't really eat it. It's not like an apple. And it's just this orange thing. Uninterested. Bales of hay. Uninterested kind of liked playing, and they had a bunch of shelled corn. He got a sensory buzz from playing in that, but not that interested. But the tractor that pulled his wagon, enamored with tractors, tractors or everything. So what's Papaw going to do about that? Well, Papaw's going to get a tractor. And so I told Marty, I'm like, all right, look, look here online at these, uh, these tractors. And um, she's like, well, don't get it yet. And I'm like, well, why not? Why can't I go ahead and get it? And she's like, well, first of all, it's big, and I don't want it around the house. And second of all, uh, you won't be able to wait till Christmas to give it to him. <laughs> yeah, I'd give it to him right now if it was up to, you know, up, up, up to me. You see, he has a tractor, but not really, not yet. That's the way we tend to think about eternal life. 
But what Jesus unpacks for us and the truth that we see in the gospel is that, and Cody, you can put my notes up, that eternal life begins when we are united to Jesus Christ by faith. Eternal life takes hold in us from that moment, and it is ours, and it is a part of us, and it is the driving force in our lives. Not, it's not something that we wait on to experience once we're dead. Because what we see in this text is, very simply, once believers have moved from perishing, from death, now to life, and that life is unending. And the issue for us is not so much the quantity of life, how much there is, eternal, which is infinite, but the very quality of that life. What does it mean for how we live? What does it mean for how that impacts us right now? So I got eight points. We're going we're gonna to blow right through them. I panicked at the early service because when I was preaching away, you know, and one of the things I don't like about uh, our sanctuary is the guys hung a clock in the back. And um, I looked at it as I was getting ready to do communion, and it said it was 11 o'clock. And I was panicking because I was like, what happened? Did I, you know, is there some kind of time, space, continuum thing going on here? Anyway, um, but we'll, we'll blow through these eight points very quickly. So first one, we get eternal life in Christ, right? Jesus, or John writes in uh, his first chapter, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. If you know anything about God at all, if you know anything about him at all, one of the things that we have to say about him is he loves life. We see that in the creation of the world and the multiplicity of the forms of life and, and the joy that living actually is. And so what we get in the gospel is because of sin, we, are, we, we live in the valley of the shadow of death. We live with sin and death clinging to us all the time. But in Christ, because Jesus comes into the world, lives our life, dies our death, rises again, we have eternal life now. And so the sin and death that is so rampant and that marks everything in our world today is actually losing its grip on us. Second, the source of eternal life is Jesus, right? It's not something we generate. It's not something that we go after. It's not something that we make happen. It comes from him. Jesus says uh, in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The very source of eternal life, the very source of real life, the very source of the joyful life that God has for us uh, it is in Christ, and as because it's in Christ, it comes from Jesus to us. Next slide. Third, uh, we participate in and get eternal life from Jesus. These, this is repetitive. You need, to, you need to hear this over and over again. We don't generate it at all. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, here's the thing that we have to see about this is, you know, back before the pandemic, 
one of the big cultural phenomenon that was going around in, uh, well, I guess the whole Western world was this focus on zombies, right? Everybody was into zombies, right? You, you know, that's these creepy shows, The Walking Dead and uh, uh, Shaun of the Dead. That's yeah, British. That's a, like beer. It's a very acquired taste. Uh, uh, just very weird kind of things where, where these people who are dead come back to life, but they still look dead. They're gross. You know, it's, it was remarkable, the, the, the makeup and all of this kind of stuff. Well, the way we tend to think about eternal life is, is that it's a life that's good, it's better than the life that you live outside of Christ, but it's a lot like this life only a little happier. But eternal life, what Jesus has purchased for us, is a life that is set completely free from the effects of sin and death. So the new life that we get is a life that is uh, uh, phenomenally different from the way we tend to think about our lives. The way we tend to think about it is you get eternal life, and so that means you're better than the people who don't have eternal life, and when you die, you'll get it. But when in fact, what the truth is, is that uh, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, the new life that Nicodemus is going to live, the new life that you and I live, is a life now where moment by moment, day by day, uh, sin and death is losing its grip on us. Okay? Fourth, when we believe we have eternal life right now, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, one of the things that we have to see about this is, is that this is something that is, is the most precious gift that we could receive from God. And what I mean by that is this. Human beings are hardwired. Human beings are programmed. Human beings are set about finding life in something. Pleasure, money, leisure. A claim. I have I have a, a kid who is a, a life seeker. Uh, so passionately seeking after life. Uh, when he was in high school, uh, well, we figured this out when he was three. Uh, we went running one time. We, well, we were down on the beach, and Marty insisted that we take a family picture, and we took a family picture on the beach. And we're way down on one end of the beach, and you can see the pier way down at the other end of the pier. And so I say to the boys, I'm like, you know, I got to wear them out, get them tired. They had ice cream for supper. And so, so I'm like, you know, run to the pier. Let's see who can run to the pier. So the, off they take, you know, they're going. And my oldest one runs, I don't know, a couple of minutes, and then he gets tired. And I'm like, okay, my younger son, he'll get tired. He's three. And Marty's like, do you see Guy? Where is he? He was running. 
still running, 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 running. He ran, I don't know. It was a phenomenal distance. I mean, we thought we lost him. So I'm like panicking. I have to go run and find him. Dad, it felt so great. I love to run. I love to run. And so he's a runner. When he was in high school, he had a vision for his life that he would win uh, the state championship in cross country. He had a nemesis, one boy who they would, they competed against each other and they were friends but bitter rivals when they ran. His picture, this boy's picture, was on the foot of my son's bed. So he would wake up every morning and he would ask himself the question, what are you going to do today to beat that guy? I mean, he was getting some life from this. He was passionate about this. His senior year, he um, uh, was favored to, to win uh, the conference championship. I went to watch the race. He goes out, just typical, too fast, opens up a giant lead, flags at the end, and this guy beat him at the tape. Crushed. No life there. The next week's the state meet. So this was all we talked about. This is all we thought about. You know, this is it, man. If you're going to grab the ring, you're going to get the life. You're going to get it here. He runs the race. He tells me where to get on the course. And my job is to be there to tell him how far this guy is behind him. Which was terrible because I wasn't at the finish line when he won. Big celebration, silver cup, you know, woo you know, all of that. Get all your peers telling you you're great. We're sitting at home that night on the sofa. So awesome. And he looks at me and he's like, this is it? I thought it would feel different. Like, welcome to the world, buddy. Same thing happened a few years later. He had set his heart on getting his ranger tab. And through fits and starts and all of this, he finally gets his ranger tab. We go, we see him graduate, which if you've never been to a graduation, go to a ranger school graduation. Sometimes they blow things up and they have knife fights. And <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not like any other graduation I've ever been to before. Well, maybe a little bit, but anyway. Um, when it's all over, he's like, well, I did this, you know, what's next? Yeah, what's next? You see, we're hardwired to get life from something. And the Father knows that about us because we are hardwired to draw life from the source of life that never disappoints, that never underwhelms. There will never be a time uh, in eternal life where we're like, you know what? Is this it? Is this all? I thought there'd be more. We'll never, ever do that, right? And so what we see here is, is that what God has done for us in Jesus Christ is he has given us a life 
and an orientation and a change in us that will, that will never disappoint us, will, that will never come undone. You see, God has put his grip on us uh, and given us this gift of eternal life. And because of that, it can never be taken away from us. And so this world of sin and death, this veil of tears, this valley of the shadow of death is losing its grip on us moment by moment, day by day, so that, so that in, our, in the fullness of time, Jesus will bring to bear all that he lived and died and rose again to give us an eternal life. Fifth, eternal life overwhelms death. Jesus is on his way to Bethany to uh, raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And he says uh, to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, that's the hope that we have. That the fact of the matter is that death is losing its power over us. And even though each one of us will experience that passing, that passing is the transition that we have into a fuller experience of eternal life, but not the fullest experience. Next slide. Because here's one of the things that we have to see. It's this, when Christians die, right? When our bodies die, uh, our bodies deteriorate, right? And our spirits go uh, uh, to, to heaven. And heaven's great. It's wonderful. But it's not complete. Because God's not done. He's not done with you. He's not done with me, and he's not done with the creation because the fullness that we experience of eternal life is when Jesus returns and every eye will see him and will hear the shout from heaven and you and I, whatever is left of us, will come out of our graves, be reunited with our souls, and eternal life will sweep across the heavens and the earth, and all that this, our sin, all of that death, all of that darkness is thrown away once and for all, right? Um, and so Jesus is very concerned uh, about our physical lives, the lives that we live day to day in our bodies, in this world, right? It's not just something that's spiritual. It's, it's something that uh, affects us right now and the here and now in the physical life that we lead because eternal life is not just souls floating around plucking on harps on clouds. It is something um, uh, gritty and real and tangible. Seventh, uh, eternal life is relational. Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, the, the thing that we have to understand about this is, is that God's intention for every human being, God's intention is seen when he makes Adam and Eve in the garden. And when he makes Adam, he forms him out of the dust of the ground, and he breathes into him the breath of life, so that when Adam opens his eyes, the first thing he sees is the face of his creator. The most captivating, beautiful, true, wonder ever. 
And so what we experience in eternal life is a growing knowledge, not facts, but a growing intimate relational knowledge with our Creator and our Redeemer. And that comes to fullness when Jesus returns, we're raised from the dead, and we see him face to face. Now, eighth, eternal life is not just for later. And here's what I want you to see about this. Because if you're paying attention at all, your question may be, that's all fine. I have to get up in the morning. I have to get my kids off to school. I have to get to work. I've got a terrible roommate. I've got leaves I've got to blow. I've got all of these things I've got to do. What difference does it make? It makes every difference. You saw eternal life this morning in this worship service when Brigitte gives testimony because you see what we see in our lives, what we see in the way in which we live here and now is you and I as believers in Jesus Christ get the opportunity to bear witness to eternal life. When you forgive your enemy, when you love those who hate you, when you serve someone who can't pay you back, when you protect the lives of the sick and the very young, when you turn away from temptation, when you bear witness to the love of God in Jesus Christ, we give the world a glimpse of this eternal life that Jesus lived and died and rose to give us. What we say to people when those things happen is, look at that, look at that, look at that. There it is. That's what we're talking about. That's the very work of God to bring into this world of darkness the light of eternal life. So our mission, our commission, the work that we do now is to see and to experience within ourselves, but also to display for the world eternal life is breaking in to this world of life, of, of lifelessness. Here's the thing, and this is the thing that is so wonderful about this is, you know, the, the fact of the matter is we don't, we don't acknowledge it very much and we don't think about it that, that often, but the fact is the air we breathe and the water we drink, the life we live is tainted. It's broken. When the light of the gospel shines into our hearts and our lives and we bear witness through our love and our sacrifice and our joy in the face of difficulty, what we're doing is we're pointing the eyes of a broken and dead and, as Jesus says, perishing world to the source of real life. 
Nothing could be more invigorating. Nothing could be more encouraging than the opportunity that we have as vines that are attached to the branch to say, look at that life. Look at that work. Death does not get the final word. Eternal life in Christ does. That is, uh, I can't think of anything uh, any more worth uh, celebrating today as we come uh, to the Lord's Supper. And the irony of ironies is that this eternal life that is God's gift to us comes to us by virtue of the death of the Son of God for us. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's confess our sins together. I am a poor sinner. I confess before you, my God and creator, that I have grievously sinned against you in many ways, not only by gross outward sins, but much more through inward natural blindness unbelief, doubts, despondency, impatience, pride, covetousness, secret envy, hatred, malice, and other sinful affections which you see in me, my Lord and God, and which, alas, I cannot always see in myself. I repent of these and cry to you for your mercy, through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.